everybody. Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is at Sports as well. TikTok and YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 106. Just finished week two of the NFL season, and we still really don't know anything, but we're going to try. Yeah, maybe the one thing that we do know right now is that the Bills are the best team in the league. I think that's, I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lot of football today. Uh, pretty much mainly NFL. Maybe a little bit of uh, college stuff in mm-hmm. halftime. But besides that, uh, pretty much a normal football season episode. Going over the week, what happened, uh, and some bigger headlines going into uh, week three and beyond. But let's get started with the opener, and this is the one baseball thing that we're talking about the whole time, and I got to talk about Jordan Diaz, the A's number eight prospect getting called up to the big leagues. We talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago on if Jordan Diaz should make the A's roster to start 2023 because of how good he's been doing in AAA. Uh, And then when I woke up on Saturday seeing that he was going to get the call up on Sunday, it was very surprising to me because usually the A's don't really make a move like this where they call a guy up earlier than what they're expected, uh, especially for these super young guys like Jordan Diaz, who's only 22. Uh, but his call was definitely deserving. Going back to his AAA numbers in Las Vegas, in 26 games, 112 at-bats, leading to 39 hits, four homers, 25 RBIs, six walks, and only 15 strikeouts, leading to a 348 average a 928 OPS. Pretty good. So year. pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good minor league track line for Jordan Diaz. And then on Sunday when he made his major league debut, he did not get blessed with the great matchup. He had to face uh Framber Valdez, one of the best pitchers in the American league right now and struck out against him twice to start his career. And then in his third at bat, he lined a single right back up the middle, getting his first career base hit and getting an average in the big leagues. So yeah, Good to see Jordan Diaz in the bigs. We're going to get to see him tonight and probably a lot more these last two weeks of the season before the A's wrap up the 2022 campaign. And it's good to see that Jordan Diaz is with them. Mm-hmm. All right. The best thing I saw, I know I've done this a couple times, but I got to mix the jet report in there because when your team is projected by ESPN to start off 0-8 and, and you get a win early in the year, it feels pretty good. So sorry uh, for jumping around a little bit, but let's get right into it. Jets win 31-30 to at Cleveland against the Browns. They were down 13 points with less than two minutes left. And they came back and won thanks to Joe Flacco, Braden Mann's onside kick, the defense, Ashton Davis stealing it. Uh, and it was a pretty exciting game. We got to see Joe Flacco have four touchdowns. He's number three in the NFL in passing yards. Garrett Wilson, the breakout game for the first rounder, eight catches, over 100 yards, two touchdowns, including the game winner. And even guys on the defense, too. Sauce Gardner, Quinnen Williams, DJ Reed's looking like an amazing signing for us at corner. Uh, I, I feel pretty awesome as a Jets fan. It would be a little more awesome if we got our quarterback, Zach Wilson, healthy, but looks like he's going to have another week off and try to go against the Steelers in week four. So I'm hyped up. We're not the worst team in the league. That's good for me. It's good for the Jets, man. Let's go ahead and get into the Nacket Sports Player of the Week that did actually include Joe Flacco as one of the candidates. I was posted on Twitter yesterday evening. Uh, So like I said last week, if you want to 
have some input on who's going to be the Mac Kids Sports Player of the Week, go vote. Uh, it's going to be up there on Mondays. Uh, but Twitter at a Mac without, Sports. Exactly. Without further ado, let's get into the candidates and who ended up winning. Uh, the first option was Aiden Hutchinson, who had three sacks in his second career game for the Detroit Lions in their victory over the Commanders this weekend. Next up was Tyreek Hill, who had a monster day with 11 catches, 190 yards, and two touchdowns in the Dolphins' big win over the Baltimore Ravens. We had Joe Flacco, uh, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, 26-42, 307 yards, and four touchdowns, uh, showing that he truly is elite. Uh, and then lastly, we had Tua, 36-50, for 50, 469 yards, six touchdowns, but did also have two interceptions and only 16 votes this week. So not a lot, but 62.5% of the votes went to Tua Tagovailoa. So so back in sports player of the week. Didn't, Didn't think, think I'd be, be saying this after yeah, the two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe Flacco did come in second though, Skyler. He got a quarter of the votes and then Tariq and Hutchinson, I think both only got one, but Good for Tua. Dolphins are looking amazing through the first two weeks. And uh, I'll get to the the Raider report now at this point, which is not going to be a fun one because we ended up losing a heartbreaker on Sunday and did not look like it was going to be that way in the first half. Up 20 to nothing. Looked absolutely amazing. Offense was good. Defense was amazing. Got stops. Made plays. They were having penalties go against them. Usually it's the other way around with the Raiders. Uh, and then something happened in the second half where it just changed. We didn't have the same aggression on offense. Our defense was laid back. It just didn't look well. And I was texting into group chats. I'm saying, I don't feel good about this game, even when it's we're up 17 points with eight minutes left to go or whatever. And it ended up costing us as we lose 29 to 23 uh, and overtime versus the Cardinals in week two, probably the worst loss I have ever seen in my life as a Raider fan. There's been bad losses in my life for sure, but never has there been one where there's been a team with this much hype uh, that looked so good in the first half that was so convincing and then just completely fell out of it and lost the game. There's been times when we, we've been close to falling out of a lead like this, but Still ended up holding on to the win with a Daniel Carlson game-winning field goal or something like that. But that did not happen this week. Uh, Josh McDaniels looked terrible. He didn't know how to call a game in the second half. He was going pass, 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 or run, run, pass. And he wasn't switching things up well. He's just too predictable. There was a drive late in or early in the fourth quarter, I believe. Cardinals just scored a touchdown. Raiders have the ball like within like the 15-yard line. Maybe expect to run the ball the first two plays and then take a shot on third down uh, if need be because you got to run some clock. You got to do whatever you got to do to get a first down uh, and take a couple minutes off this ball game so that you can kind of guarantee that win at that point. And goes incompletion, 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 just bad play call after play, bad play call. And it ended up costing us uh, because without, if you take off two minutes of that game clock, maybe the Cardinals don't even get a chance at the goal line late in the game that they did. Uh, but as far as players individually go, Carr looked decent. Uh, he didn't look good, but he did not look nearly as bad as he looked the, in week one. So I'm okay with how he played there. Jacobs was good. 
Uh, Waller was good. Matt Collins was really good. Renfro had seven catches for 59 yards, but did have two fumbles in overtime, which is the most completely shocking thing probably of this entire week. Uh, so maybe just take that with a grain of salt because uh, everybody does make mistakes. But seeing two fumbles on back-to-back plays is really weird. Devontae Adams only had two catches for 12 yards, but did have a touchdown in the game. The Cardinals were just double, triple teaming Adams. They did not want him to beat them. And so that was their main focus, and the car said, okay, I'll just go look at other guys. And so that's what happened. Small day for him. Defense played well, uh, but the biggest thing that stood out for me was the lack of Chandler Jones and this big pass rusher that we were guaranteed when signing him in the offseason, and he has been absolutely terrible. This dude, I haven't seen anything from him. He misses tackles. Let's go, guys, run by him. He doesn't put pressure in the backfield. The biggest thing that I've seen from him is just being a cheerleader when Max Crosby does something right because Max Crosby's doing something right every single goddamn play because he's one of the best players in the NFL. But Chandler Jones hasn't done anything, and it's really disappointing to see. Uh, but Tennessee this week, got to bounce back or else you're not going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Let's go ahead and get to where's your head at, though, after my little rant there. Let's talk about one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver duo in all of the National Football League right now, and that's Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. They combined for like 370 yards this past week, four touchdowns and 22 catches. Is this the best wide receiver duo in the league right now, Skyler? Not intended to disrespect Tua, but uh, we didn't even think Tua was going to be a, a top 15 quarterback at this point, you know, especially this week against Baltimore. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a deeper conversation about is Tua actually good at some point this year, but he definitely doesn't have a six touchdown game with Devontae Parker and Albert Wilson as his top receivers. I got to say yes at this point. Yeah, I'm going with yes for this as well. There's a lot of good duos in the league. There's the Davis Diggs duo in Buffalo. There's the Chase Higgins duo in Cincinnati. You can even say Adams and Renfro in Las Vegas or Justin Jefferson Thielen, Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup, whatever you want to go there. But there's not the second. Like, I don't know who's the best guy out of that duo with Hill and Waddle. And that's just saying something because there's not a drop off mm-hmm. within the two. And the number one guy there is the legitimate number one. I can't figure out who that is. So I'm saying, yes, this is the best wide receiver doing in the league, and this might end up being one of the best offenses in the league once we get to the end of the year. One of the biggest things, uh, biggest news pieces from the NFL in this past week was the injury to 49ers quarterback Trey Lance when he suffered a broken ankle in their week two win over the Seattle Seahawks. Uh a lot of different things coming from Niners media and we can see it firsthand being from the Bay area and us not even being Niner fans actually probably gives us a better look into it because we don't have Mm -hmm. any like bias. Uh, This is, it's a very weird reaction from Niner fans. Some of them are happy to see that Jimmy Garoppolo is back in the game. Uh, They think he's never done anything wrong. He's ever like been a losing QB. So why ever go against them in the first place? Uh, which is kind of a weird reaction because I thought they'd all be happy for Lance. Uh, but obviously now that he's hurt, it's kind of different there. Uh, and then we have all these people saying fire Shanahan. You know, you can't have your rookie or not rookie, but 22 year old quarterback doing all these running plays, QB powers. Like you got to use them more how the Eagles use Jalen Hurts or how the 
the Bills use Josh Allen. You can't have but, another RG3. Yeah, He's, at the end of the day. spend too much capital on him. Shanahan is part of the reason of RG3. You know, the, all, all these guys in Shanahan's system have not really suited well for that, even though you have the ideal situation where he does. Uh, but the bigger question here is we're not going to talk about the Niners this year specifically, but how does this Trey Lance injury affect the Niners' future QB decisions uh, as far as the starter and what they want to do with that? Look, it's heartbreaking for sure for the Niners, but this roster's built for Jimmy Garoppolo this year. You write it out with Jimmy. It's a weak NFC this year, but you have to let him walk. Look at what happened to Philly with Nick Foles. They let him walk, and he did nothing in Jacksonville. He did get hurt, but... You can't have a situation where you pay a guy that much money and he's not even going to end up starting for you. That's why he was their security blanket this year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's two clear ways I can see it. The first of which is you just let Jimmy walk because at the end of the day, we know how this season's going to go. It's not going to be a deal where Jimmy Gruffle's like, okay, yeah, I'm fine with just being the backup. Sign me for $5 million. He's going to want a deal upwards of 20 million or 30 million, whatever it is. If you're the Niners, you either have to give that to him and trade Trey Lance, or you have to just let him walk and put all your faith into Trey Lance. Uh, And I would not be shocked with any of those decisions, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. I know the Niners fans, or especially Brett, Brett's super big on Trey, uh, and he's saying this is Trey's team 100%. This is always going to be Trey's team, but I do not believe that. I think Shanahan's always been in love with Jimmy Garoppolo, despite him not being the greatest quarterback. And if he leads them to the NFC championship or further this year, he's going to go ahead and say, I know what I have with Jimmy. I know I can win with Jimmy. I don't know if I can do that with Trey. I'm going to sign Jimmy long-term and trade Trey. So, That'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, it all kind of depends on, on how good Jimmy Garoppolo ends up doing this year. But I think now at this point where it's pretty, as long as they stay healthy, it's pretty confident that they're going to be a, a solid seed in the playoffs and make some noise in there. If they stay healthy. One guy though, that we do have to talk about before we get to halftime has got to be Micah Parsons. Me and Skyler's pick to win the defensive player of the year before the season is looking really good after two weeks. He leads the NFL with sacks at four right now. Uh, and he was just terrorizing the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line on Sunday. Uh, he had an almost like QB impact in that game where he was just changing every single play that he could. Bengals had to put like three guys on him uh, to even disrupt him at that point. Uh, and once you put three guys on somebody, you're going to have people coming from the other side making plays. And that's what the Bengals... Bengals were susceptible to and that's why the Cowboys ended up winning that game in the long term despite not having their quarterback or their offense really doing anything that entire game so it begs the question is Micah Parsons already the best defensive player in the NFL I think it's fair to say Aaron Donald doesn't impact the result of the game the way he used to Parsons is an absolute game wrecker like you said you know only two games into his second year if you still want to rank Donald number one on a you know NFL 100 list, I won't complain, but Parsons is going to be the one getting the depoy votes this year. Parsons is the one who's going to have multi-sack games against a team like the Bengals with a backup quarterback to win it. 
Yeah, if the Cowboys do anything this year, uh, especially in the time that Dak's gone, it's going to be because of Micah Parsons. Uh, but going away from that and more into the question itself, I think we kind of have become a little numb to how good Aaron Donald is. Uh, just because he gets so much attention that he doesn't really do put up crazy numbers. Mm. Uh, and so I'm still going to say Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the NFL because I think at this point, for somebody to actually get that from him, they have to prove year in, year out that they that they are better than him. And Michael Parsons, while he probably will, is still only in his second year. But I do want to put Michael Parsons over TJ Watt, even though I completely love yeah. TJ. I'm a huge TJ fan. Uh, and I know how good he is, but Micah Parsons is just on another level, man. And so this guy is the second best defense player in the NFL, just behind one of the, I mean, going away from that for a second, we're already saying that this guy in year two is debatably better than one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Uh, Aaron Donald at this point, isn't just the best defensive player of this like generation. Yeah. He might be a top five defensive player ever in NFL history. So saying that Michael Parsons is at that tier is pretty crazy. But let's go ahead and send it to halftime. All right. We'll start off halftime with some injury news in the NFL. We talked about Trey Lance, broken ankle. He's got the Prescott. He's out for the year. Uh, Disappointing. Um, But we got to move on because we already talked about it. So Justin Herbert, broken ribs on Thursday night against Kansas City, uh, likely not going to practice this week, but should be able to go. That's interesting. Jerry Judy with a similar rib injury uh, slamming to the ground against uh, Houston, one of their games. Uh, They say he's not going to practice at all this week and needs more tests. So that doesn't sound great, but Judy seems like a guy that could go without practice. That makes sense. Um, James Conner for the Cardinals. Another situation. Hurt his ankle really bad against the Raiders. No timetable. Probably not going to practice this week. Uh, so looking like Eno Benjamin and Daryl Williams if he can't return. Dalton Schultz, the tight end for the Cowboys with the knee injury. I believe it's the PCL. Um, Jerry said it's not a long-term injury, but doesn't think he can go this week. But they're going to do some more testing. Damian Harris, Patriots running back, left uh, their game with a knee injury. And he's completely questionable. We have no idea. Hunter Renfro, receiver from the Raiders. Kyle talked about it a little bit. On that last play of the game, uh, just absolutely demolished, and he's in concussion protocol. So uh, another questionable guy, and not uh, not the type of questionable for fantasy, like, come on, you know, get me my points. The type of questionable, like, we don't know if this guy's going to even practice this week. Uh, same exact thing with Devin Dumernay. Uh, got hurt on a kick return, receiver from the Ravens. And... There's a lot of other guys, too, uh, pretty much all Buccaneers receivers, um, which is questionable. So we don't need to talk anymore about that because we have no idea. It's Tuesday. That's, I guess, the bad part about uh, doing it on a Tuesday is we just don't know yet. So we'll move on to college football. Got the week three recap, and I'm just going to run through it like a speed round. All right, we'll start it off with number one, Georgia, embarrassing South Carolina in South Carolina. Spencer Rattler looked bad. Georgia's tight end Brock Bowers looks so good. He would be a top 10 pick this year, but he's only a true sophomore. So we're going to have to wait for him. I'm excited for him, though. I will say something before Skyler continues yeah. this uh, recap for week three in college football. Get ready for a lot of boring scores. There's a lot of blowouts this past mm-hmm. week. 
There were. So I'm going to try to skip over them until we get to the Heisman watch because those are the important ones. Um, the next game I want to talk about, Oregon, 41-20 to 20 win over BYU at home, letting them know we're the uh, kings of the Pacific. You know, uh, Oregon letting them know Georgia is the best team. We're not done. We're still coming for the Pac-12. So I appreciated that one for them. Kind of a statement. Uh, Wake Forest ranked 19th. Almost blew the game to Liberty. They won 37 to 36 at home. Sam Hartman wasn't uh, that sharp coming back in his second week. Uh, Washington takes down 11th ranked Michigan State at home. They're on fire right now. I believe they're ranked around 14 this year. I haven't checked it yet, but we all know the AP poll doesn't matter yet. Um, And their new transfer quarterback, who I'm going to wait to talk about, is playing awesome this year. 18th ranked Florida escapes an upset against South Florida at home, 31-28. Anthony Richardson, an awful game from him, two picks. Uh, a guy who was looking like a maybe a first-round draft pick at quarterback this year has not been good this year. And uh, last game, Texas A&M at home, takes down 13th ranked Miami, 17-9. Two uh, really ugly teams right now, uh, teams that I would stay away from betting from because you have no idea. One week they could lose to App State. One week they could take down Bama. I want nothing to do with it. So uh, that's the recap, and we'll go straight into the Heisman watch. Uh, I'm excited for this one because uh, a lot of the top guys have finally played non-blowout games, and we can talk about it. Uh, Not blowout, but non-FCS schools, we'll say. Uh, Got two honorable mentions this week. That Washington quarterback I wanted to talk about, Michael Penix, former Indiana quarterback who's had so many knee injuries, but is finally back this year. He is a lefty. 400 yards, four total touchdowns against Michigan State. Awesome game from him. Another honorable mention, the Texas running back, B. John Robinson. 200 yards from scrimmage, three touchdowns against Texas San Antonio. And he's pretty much done this every single week, so we got to keep an eye on him. Getting to the top five, a new addition for this year at number five. We got Will Anderson, edge rusher from Bama. Got a sack and a pick six against Louisiana Monroe. So uh, we'll keep an eye on him, too. I love the defense for Heisman, and he's got to be the top choice for this year with Hutchinson gone. Uh, The top four is going to be the same four guys. Uh, It's going to take a lot to take down these four guys, just a little shifted order. Number four, I still have the USC quarterback, Caleb Williams. Four touchdowns against Fresno State. He did his job. Um, he's going to be great this year until he uh, has to face a, a defense like Oregon or Utah. So we'll watch it. Number if three, Washington this week. Wait, no, they don't. Stanford does. Yes. Uh, but Stetson Bennett is number three from Georgia. 284, three total touchdowns at South Carolina. Awesome for him. Uh, just not uh, that crazy game to move him up to number one, you know. Uh, but number two, we have Bryce Young from Alabama. I finally dropped him down a spot. Because he really struggled against Louisiana Monroe, even though they won by 56. He threw two early picks in the first quarter, only 230 yards. I know he didn't have to do much to win, but it's something to watch because he didn't play well against Texas either. Uh, And number one, I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud. 367 yards, five touchdowns. I know it was Toledo, but he's the only guy on this list that is really just killing everybody like he's supposed to. He's got Marvin Harrison Jr., his new favorite target, now that uh, Jackson smith Najiba has been banged up. And that's a a pretty interesting matchup. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on from the Heisman Watch now and get to our pick standings uh, through week two. First off, we'll go over week two and who did good there. Uh, Starting off with two eight out of 16 picks that we had 
that was me and Brett. We both had midweeks. Uh, Alex came in second this week, nine out of 16. Then Skyler uh, had 10 out of 16, so barely edges out Alex. I really there needed that. Get, I had a rough week one. Yeah, uh, to get the week two crown. Yeah. Which sets up our full week stand or our full season standings at this point. Uh, so it's Brett in first right now. Uh, 18 out of 31 after a strong week one that he had. And then there's a three-way tie with me, mm-hmm. Skyler, and Alex all having 17 out of 31 right now. The reason it's 31, again, is because of the Colts-Texans tie yeah. uh, from last week. So we just completely discarded that pick anyways because we both had – or we all had Indianapolis. So pretty rough start for all of us, but that's usually how it starts early in the year when we don't really know how good each team is, especially in a year like this for – we don't really know much uh, through mm-hmm. week two, but right now, early lead for Brett. Uh, and before we get to the second half of where's your head at, we're going to go over my start and sit picks of week two that I posted on our Twitter on Saturday evening. Uh, look, look for those each week. I'm going to try to put those out mm-hmm. for you guys that way you can get some fantasy help. Uh, and hopefully they keep on doing somewhat decent. Uh, but the first guy that I had was starting Antonio Gibson. He ended up being RB 16 this week uh, with 12.1 fantasy points, which is a solid week. Probably should be startable in all formats, uh, but he only had two yards per carry, uh, 14 carries, 28 yards. Just such a weird day against the Lions, especially when they allowed five yards per carry the week before. He did get a touchdown, though, so that saved his performance there. And Antonio Gibson is a lot better than what we expected him to be a couple of weeks ago before Brian Robinson got shot. Uh, I did yeah. have sit Zeke Elliott. That was the one sit out of the four guys I had this week. He was RB 46 in week two with 5.9 fantasy points. So definitely a green check mark there. He had 16 touches too. So he didn't just have this uh, small amount of carries game that I expected him to have. He actually had a good amount of touches but only 3.5 yards per carry and no touchdown in there as well. I had start Jeff Wilson. Wilson was RB 15 in week two with 12.3 fantasy points. So again, probably a good decision to start him. He had good production too. He had, I believe 16 or 18 carries for 84 yards. Just didn't get the touchdown that I was expecting him to get, which is unfortunate because he probably would have been an RB1 if he did get that touchdown, but still a good week for Jeff Wilson. And lastly, I had start Michael Thomas in the game against the Bucks. He was wide receiver 18 in week two with 18.5 points. He had a good week, but there was a lot of good weeks uh, for wide receivers in week two. And so wide receiver 18 for 18 and a half points is kind of crazy, but still startable in a lot of formats. So I actually had a real life situation of start and sit uh, mm-hmm. with Michael Pittman out and Gabriel Davis questionable. I had to pick somebody up. So I went with Corey Davis receiver from the jets. He ended up around wide receiver 18 this week with 16 points. So I'll take it. Yeah. Big touchdown. Save yeah. them. That's yes, it. Uh, but look forward to next Saturday. When we have week three start or sit picks coming out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, let's go ahead and send it back to the second half with where's your head at. 
Starting off the second half, we got to talk about one of the most disappointing teams to start the NFL season, and that is the Indianapolis Colts, who are 0-1-1. And I saw this, this TikTok. I know I, I mention that every week. I saw this TikTok. I saw this TikTok. And <laughs> sure, TikTok isn't really official, uh, but it brought up something that was pretty interesting. If we didn't know the schedule of any of the teams or anything like that, who of who teams are playing uh, in the first two weeks, and we heard that this team tied to the Texans in week one and lost to the Jaguars 24 to nothing in week two. What would we think? That's the worst team in the NFL, right? Yep. <laughs> and that's what the Colts have done in the first two weeks. Matt Ryan was absolutely awful against the Jaguars, 16 for 30, 195 yards, zero touchdowns, and three interceptions. Because they got down early, they weren't able to run the ball with Jonathan Taylor. He only had nine carries for 54 yards, and they couldn't really do anything else. The defense couldn't really get stops. Christian Kirk was terrorizing them. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked really good against them. He was 25 for 30. When that's happening, you know, there's something going on there. So defense isn't good. Their offense isn't good. Are the Colts really this bad, or is it is it possible that they break out of this and we're just not seeing something? The Colts are a very one-dimensional team. If they can't throw it up to Michael Pittman, they're screwed because there's going to be eight defenders in the box. Uh, we'll talk about some of the, you know, reasons we shouldn't give up on them. A uh, lot of injuries so far. Uh, you know, Ashton Doolin was their top receiver. Uh, he's from Malone College. If you ever heard of that, but you still you can't get shut out by Jacksonville. They were down twenty to three against Houston too. Those are supposed to be give me. Those are supposed to be the two worst teams in the worst division in football. And uh, we should be extremely worried right now. I think I saw they have the very worst uh, pass blocking win rate in the NFL right now. Uh, so especially with an old quarterback who can't really run and Matt Ryan, that does not help them at all. Yeah, the Colts are, are not good. I think what was really their strength last year, and I, I know they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they were a good team for about 90% of the season, except for those last two weeks. They were getting leads early and then letting Jonathan Taylor just run all day. And he had obviously a great season and ended up being the number one running back in fantasy. I know it doesn't perfectly equate to actual football, but when you're number one running back in fantasy, that means you're having a good year. Uh, but they're not getting ahead and they don't have that passing attack to really get back into games. I know Michael Pittman's there. It wasn't there last week, but besides him, there's nothing else to throw to like Skyler was talking about you have Ashton Doolin you have probably Jack Doyle I assume he's still there but regardless they don't have the uh, that number two guy and that's one of their biggest uh like faults going into the season that's why a lot of people picked them to not do well uh and through the first two weeks of the season there might be a legitimate chance the Jacksonville Jaguars win the division with six wins because of how bad that division is. <laughs> so take what you want with that right now. But yes, the Colts are bad. Titans are not that good either. Texans and Jags still not good either. But maybe the Jags win it with six wins this year. So there is a whole bunch of other teams that did lose really badly in week two that we do want to talk about and which team is the most likely to rebound from that week two loss and which team is the least likely to rebound from those week two loss. 
And there's six teams on here. There's the Bengals, the Raiders, the Browns, the Ravens, Commanders, and the Titans. So we'll start off with the bad end of it. Which team is least likely to rebound from that loss? I think Cincinnati is a safe pick. I think we both have them still winning the division, probably. Um, but Burrow might break David Carr's sack record. Uh, so I'm going to go somewhere else just for the sake of talking about another team. So I'll go with Washington. Uh, Wentz has been a big upgrade so far, even though he's a gunslinger. Uh, the East is pretty weak. I still don't trust Philly. Uh, they couldn't put away the Vikings last night. Uh, same with the Giants. And, I mean, we all know Wentz can have a crazy comeback just as easily as a three-pick game. And I feel like that uh, wild card of a quarterback is good enough to win eight or nine games in that division because, uh, you know, Cooper Rush and Danny Dimes uh, aren't going to take shots like that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay, uh, the good. team that I think is least likely to rebound is going to be the Commanders as well. I think their division is kind of better than what we expected in a way. I, I know Skyler said he wasn't sold on the Eagles, but I'm sold on them. I think they're a really good team. Uh, and the other teams here, I just think their rosters are better. I know the Browns don't really have anything going on for the first 11 weeks of no Deshaun Watson, but all these other teams are either in a bad division or they have talent on the roster. And the commanders do have talent. But they're kind of just mid everywhere. There's not a spot where I'm like, oh, yeah, this team is dominant on that side of the ball or on this front. And they just don't have that. And so I'm saying the commanders are not going to rebound from this week to loss and end up being a losing team this year. Uh, what about the other side, Skyler? Who do you think is the most likely to rebound? I say probably the Titans because their division's so bad. Uh, I also would accept Vegas because I don't trust Denver either. This is a weird, uh, weird list here. Um, I don't trust the Browns or the Ravens. Yeah, that's about it. Titans or Raiders, uh, whoever wins next week, right? Yeah, we do play each other. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say the Ravens are the most likely because their offense has been so good, I feel like. And I, even though they haven't been so, so good, Lamar Jackson has been really, really good in my opinion. And I think he's playing with something else rather than just trying to win football games right now because he, he wants to get paid. He wants to break the bank. And he, I think, as weird as it sounds, wants to prove to Baltimore that you should have paid his, this guy. And I don't think he is. There's a good chance that he's not a Raven next year. I think there's a valuable chance that. But as of right now, I'm not going to talk about that. The Ravens probably have the highest chance, though, because of how good their offense is. And their defense has good personnel. It just hasn't played good and gelled quite yet. Let's go ahead and get to the layups and bull predictions from last week. And let's get on out of here. Uh... For the layups last week, I had Cincy minus eight against the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. That did not do well. It should have done well. I still don't really understand why the Bengals are so bad uh, besides their offensive line, even though they improved their offensive line. But regardless, that did not hit. Skyler had Green Bay minus 10 versus the Chicago Bears on Sunday Night Football. That did hit. So good job for Skyler there. Yeah. This week, I have Pittsburgh versus Cleveland. The under 
38 and a half. These two offenses suck. These two defenses are pretty solid. Wouldn't be shocked if we see a game total of like 20 to 25 points here. Mm-hmm. I'm going with uh, number seven, USC, minus six and a half at Oregon State. I know Oregon State's undefeated. It may be tough to play uh, up in the north in Oregon, but USC has historically killed these Pac-12 North teams early in the year. Um, I like what Caleb Williams is doing, and I don't trust Oregon State either. They haven't been good for a very long time, probably since they've had Sean Mannion and Brandon Cooks, uh, so I'm not buying it and taking USC to cover. On to the bold predictions. Me and Skyler both did good here. I had Jacksonville over Indianapolis. I did not expect them to win by 24, but I could (laughs) see that Jacksonville W coming from a mile out. Uh, And then Skyler had Miami over Baltimore, and I don't know if you got lucky there, but it ended up working out for you. So good job for you there. And we sweep the bold predictions this week. I don't have the boldest prediction, but I have a plus 135 money line with the Houston Texans over the Chicago Bears. I like Davis Mills. That's it. All right. Uh, Similar situation with me. I don't know if it's the boldest, but I'm going to take a Kansas City alternate line at Indianapolis. Uh, We just talked about how none of us trust Indianapolis and they probably suck, maybe even the worst team in the league. And there's no official alternate line yet, but I think uh, doubling the six and a half to 14 is fair. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take Kansas City to win by two touchdowns. Yeah. So that's going to do it for episode 106. I do want to talk about a little bit of a future episode, though, possible 108 or 108 part two yeah and that's gonna have to relate to our mlb postseason predictions video because the mlb season did not align up well with the immaculate sports podcast (laughs) right now because they have the mlb season ended on wednesday and then the playoffs started on friday so if you add the days up there and see where we do our podcast on tuesdays doesn't really give us the great alignment because there might be some seeding changes and stuff like that within those two days. However, if all the seeds are set in stone, we know, say this team's going to be four, five, and six, and where they're going to be, and all the series are set, we'll go ahead and do that playoff prediction for you on that Tuesday. But if everything's not set yet, which I'm assuming it won't be because all the wild cards are pretty close in the AL and the Mets and the Braves race is close in the NL. And maybe the Brewers even come back and take that wild card spot. We'll do it on Thursday if that ends up mm-hmm. happening there. So obviously we'll give you guys another update about that next week because we're still two weeks out from this at that point. But uh, yeah, just a little heads up for the future. Yes, sir. Got anything Anyways, uh, else? No, I ain't got nothing else. Uh, So I guess we'll see you in episode 107. 107. Who's your favorite number 107? Can I take out the O? Sure. Devante. All right. See you guys next week. You ain't got one? 107? Uh, I'll take uh, 007. Oh, yeah. They ain't 007, man. It's whatever. Yeah. All right. Joe Flacco's elite. See you next week. Go Jets. Go Jets.